cheer at the end of that? I mean, an epic Jesus needs epic music, and that uh, is epic music. After speaking to a leadership team at a company, Bible teacher and evangelist Ian Leitch was asked by one of the staff to talk privately. She said this, Ian, when I was 22, I was in a serious car accident and my boyfriend was killed. I have gone through a lot of surgeries and am, am now doing well. When that happened, I lost my faith. Ian thought, what do you say to someone like that? Well, I prayed, Ian said, and I said as kindly as I could, you know, when they built the Queen Mary, the Queen Elizabeth, and the QE2, they did not test them in dry dock. They didn't leave them in dry dock and get big hoses and, and point them at the hull and to see if it would leak. They got those ships out into the open ocean to put them through sea trials. These trials were not intended to sink the ship. These trials were to prove that the ship was seaworthy. The only way you can know whether your faith is real or not is when the pressures of life come, when you go through those trials. Then you know if you are seaworthy or not. Can I ask you honestly, did you lose your faith or did you find that you had none? She said, Ian, I guess you're right. I had none. Testing. It's hard. And it stinks. But it's life. It's, it's life. And, and I love the songs that we sang this morning. Because, and if you, sang, if you sang them, you sang those very words. God, I, wanna, I want to show you that my faith is true and real and genuine. And I want to grow and I want to go deeper and deeper in that. So put me out there. Put me in the seas. Bring the waves so that I can hold on to you in the midst of those things. Chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews is probably the most well-known chapter of this entire book. Um, it's our go-to chapter when we want to talk about faith. And this morning, I hope that we leave here with a really good understanding of what the preacher is trying to get uh, get us to understand. As Christ followers, no matter what century we live in, if it was the first century or the 21st century, we are called to live by faith. So what is faith exactly? Uh, as we kick off chapter 11 this morning, we're going to look at, first of all, the description, the description of faith, number one. So turn with, you, with me, if you haven't already, to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to go through the whole chapter. Buckle up. We're going to do it today. So first is a description. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that, when, so that what is seen was not made out of what was Visible. These first three verses are a description of what faith does and how it works. So often uh, you hear the phrase, you just got to have faith. Maybe you've said it yourself. You just got to have faith. And along with that statement often comes sort of the meaning of blind optimism or, or manufactured hope so feelings. You know, like, I just hope, I just dream, I, you just got to have faith. You know, like Lehigh or whatever college that was. You know, their coach, they walked on the, on the field, on the, on the court, and the coach said, you just got to believe. And, and I heard an interview with him at the end of the game, and he was like, there was a point in time towards the end of that game where I thought we just might win this game. So he was saying things that he didn't even necessarily believe or could really hope in because he didn't know for sure. That's not the kind of faith and the kind of hope that we're talking about here. That, um, that is not what biblical faith is. The faith that we are talking about this morning is also not mere intellectual assent to a doctrine or, or a, a theology. Okay, that's not what faith is. And it is not believing in spite of the evidence. That's not faith. Well, this, this is showing one thing, but I have faith that it's something different. No, that's not what we're talking about. That's not what the preacher is talking about. That would be superstition. Biblical faith is, and I want to quote Warren Wearsby here, confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances and consequences. 
Think about that. It, it really is that simple when we think about faith. God speaks. We hear his word. Sometimes that's through a friend. Sometimes that's through a meditation. And, and we just, we, we know that it's God. We, we test that and we know that it's him. And sometimes it's literally his word, his, the, the Bible. We trust his word and then we act on it no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the consequences are for acting on this might be. We find ourselves in an impossible circumstance, or maybe we're facing unknown and frightening consequences, but to obey God's word, but we obey God's word just the same. We trust that he will do what is right and what is best, no matter what that is. That is faith. That's what faith is. People who are outside the family of God don't understand true biblical faith, and I often wonder if that's due to the fact that in action... Our faith is sometimes absent in the church. Because faith is a verb. Faith is an action word. H.L. Mencken, who was a cynical editor and journalist in the early 1900s, defined faith this way. He said, faith is the illogical belief in the occurrence of the improbable. You think people are cynical today. <laughs> wow, right? The world fails to realize that faith is only as good as the object that that faith has been put in. And our object of faith is God, the one and only creator of the universe. Faith is not some kind of feeling that we conjure up or some kind of confident, wishful thinking. No, our faith is in total response to who God is and what God has revealed to us in his word. Because it's true. It's true. There's three words in those first two verses there that summarize what true biblical faith is. Those, you know, there's not spaces maybe in the introduction part of your notes. Substance, evidence, and witness. Three words, substance, evidence, and witness. The King James translates the first two verses this way. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Okay, the word translated substance literally means to stand under or to support, like the foundation of a house. If you have a good, strong foundation of your house, there is something, something stable that the rest of the house can stand on. So faith to a follower of Christ is like that foundation of a house. It gives us assurance. It gives us confidence in God. It, it is why the NIV uses confidence to describe that word in that English translation. That foundation is built on the fact that what God promises will be experienced. End of story. No doubt. Substance. The word evidence uh, means conviction. It is the inward conviction from God that what he has promised, he will do. God said this, I can trust that he will do it. And the third word is witness. It's the good report in that passage there. What the ancients were commended for. The ancients were commended for this. That word is also found in verse 4, verse 39, and then in chapter 12, verse 1, which we're going to do chapter 12 next week, refers to the great cloud of witnesses. That's that third word. The good report. All of these are witnesses to us because God witnessed to them. Faith is very practical. It is real. It is not passive. Faith is a verb. It enables us to understand what God does. Faith enables us to see what others can't see. Faith enables us to do what others cannot do. We're going to see this over and over in the preacher's examples and in the lives of others around us. Those we walk with today, those who have gone before us. You know, all these people that the, the preacher lists here in chapter 11, people laughed at them. People didn't believe them. People thought they were nuts. They were crazy for doing what they were doing or believing what they were believing. But God was with them. And he empowered them to succeed to his glory. J. Oswald Sanders said, Faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as present and the invisible as seen. 
Now, in the rest of chapter 11, we see a summary of the lives of men and women from the Old Testament who had faith. And and I hope that you are as energized, I don't know if it's possible, but I I hope you are as energized by these examples as I have been this week, as I've studied them and looked at them. And, And in each person, this isn't in your notes either, there are four elements of their faith. Uh, Roy's going to put these up on the screen. Um, Feverishly write them down. Number one, God spoke to them through his word. God spoke to them. Number two, they were stirred internally in different ways. What what God spoke to them changed them, made them feel something, made um, made them consider things. The third element is that they obeyed God. They did what God spoke to them. They did it. And the fourth thing was that he bore witness about them. God bore witness about them, and in turn, they bore witness about him. And so for the rest of the chapter, we see, number two, the demonstration of faith. Verse four, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous. When God spoke well of his offerings... And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. Abel was faith-worshipping. Abel was faith-worshipping. We find the background for his situation in Genesis chapter 4. I'd love to go through that whole thing, but we're not this morning. Abel was a righteous man, we're told, because uh, because of his faith. Um, God had revealed to Adam and his descendants what true worship was supposed to look like. God said, this is the way that I want you to worship. And Abel obeyed God's word by faith. God said, do this. Abel did this. God said, do this. Abel's brother Cain did that. Cain did something else. Abel made the right sacrifice, Cain did not. Cain did not have faith. And in addition, he had a really bad attitude about what was happening. So his worship was not accepted because it was without faith and was contrary to what God spoke. Cain was not a child of God because he did not have faith. He was religious, but not righteous. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10 basically describes these two boys. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. By that description, Cain was a child of the devil. Cain didn't do what God said was the right thing to do. Abel did, and what happened It cost him his life. Abel is the first recorded martyr of the faith. (laughs) Worshiping, faithful worshiping. Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible To please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Abel was faith worshiping, Enoch was faith walking. Faith, walking, walking, a a journey through life with Jesus. As we journey through life with him, we glorify him, we worship him, we focus on him, our relationship with him grows. We, we learn new things. We surrender old things. And the more that we know him, the more that we trust him, and the more that we desire to please him, and the more as we do that, that desire grows in us to spend time with him, and, and our diligence to seek him grows. It's like, I just can't get enough. Talk, time, turnover. In prayer and meditation on God's word, in worship and discipline, gathering together, walking together, our walk with Jesus strengthens. You know, the the men's gathering thing is as iron sharpens iron, and sometimes that iron sharpening iron, it's painful and we want to get away from it, but it's necessary. 
God wants to use that in our life. Enoch walked with God in the wicked world before the flood came. This is the world before the flood. Enoch walked with God. Didn't matter what his friends were doing or what people were saying he should do or should not do. He was walking with God and he was indeed taken to heaven one day. I mean, literally did not take his last, well, he took his last breath on earth, but his heart did not stop beating on this earth. He just was gone. He was carried across and seen no more. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse, verses 13 through 18. Look at, look at these. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, those who have died, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope, those who are outside of faith in Christ. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again because he did. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him, those who knew Jesus Christ and then died. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will be with the Lord forever therefore encourage one another with these words it will happen Jesus will return while we're here I don't know have you ever had one of those moments in time? This happened to me. We were in Waco, and, and I was at my daughter's apartment. I was outside working on the car, which is something that I do a lot. Um, and there was this really, really loud, I had no box in my mind for this loud sound that I was hearing. And the first thing that popped into my mind was, is this it? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I, don't, I don't know what that's going to sound like. It's going to be loud, and it's going to be the entire planet. And, and, and in that moment in time, it felt like it was the entire planet. I still don't know what it was. I mean, there are people just walking around like it's a normal day. I'm like, can you not hear that? So obviously, it was something normal to them. Look, Abel died a violent death. Enoch didn't die. God has a different plan for each one of us who trusts him, and we don't know what that's going to look like. But we... But we hold on to our faith because we trust. Because we trust him. Abel, Enoch, next we have Noah. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. So, so Abel was faith-worshipping, Enoch was faith-walking, Noah was faith-working. Noah was warned, received word. And I'm sure it was a bit hard to swallow when he received it. You want me to build what? Where? Really? I mean, I, I personally could think of a thousand reasons why you shouldn't build a big ship in the middle of Wyoming. But he was moved in his heart by a holy fear, reverence, trust. And God said, this is what I want you to do. And what did he do? He did it. He heard the word, he was stirred inside, and he took action. Do you suppose he was given any grief for what he was doing? Right? No one understood from the world's point of view from the world's point of view, he'd lost his mind. What is this, a tourist attraction? Ha, huh? they didn't have tourism in those days, I don't think. But what, a, but what came about from his faith? His whole family was saved. God preserved a remnant. And the world gained another witness. His faith also revealed the whole world's unbelief and why they were condemned in the first place. And what happened? What happened? It turned out exactly like God said it was going to. God did exactly what he said he was going to do. He saved Noah and his family. He saved two of every kind of animal. 
And now we today live in, I don't know, humanity 2.0, sort of. It was a reboot. Jesus, in fact, used Noah's experience to warn people to be ready for his return. In Matthew chapter 24, 36 through 42, his words are recorded. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Wow. So you hear people trying to guess when the world's going to end. You know what? I mean, don't take them seriously. They can't. By Jesus' own words. And... Incredibly, I don't know how this works. Jesus doesn't even know. Now, I don't know if that was only when he was walking the earth and he didn't sort of have that full connection or I I don't know what he means by that. But Jesus says, not even the angels in heaven nor the son, but only the father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the son of man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Those are not bad things to do. They're pretty common things to do. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. When that trumpet blows, I mean, there's not going to be some, some least, like introductory lead into this deal. It's going to happen and it's going to be over. And the question is, are we ready? Are, they weren't. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. That verse always brings, those last two, those last two verses, three verses always bring a movie to my mind. One that I was frightened by. You remember it, right? Billy Graham? And what was the name of it? Left Behind. That was before the more modern Left Behinds that that came out. It's the same concept, though. We don't know when it's going to happen. And are you ready right now, today? In Noah's day, people were involved in everyday innocent activities and completely ignored Noah's witness. I'm sure he wasn't quiet about it. Hey, I'm building this because... You guys should think about why I'm building this ship in the middle of the desert. May we not ignore the witness of so many Christ followers around us. And may we see our faith grow. And may we be those witnesses. (laughs) That others will, will know the hope and joy of life in Christ because of our life. A working faith. Every day, no matter what your career is. In the early 1900s. 16-year-old William Whiting Borden graduated from the Hill School in Pottstown, Pennsylvania, a prestigious boarding school known for sending its alumni to Princeton University, who, I might add, played a very good basketball game last night. (laughs) Who would think Princeton? Seriously. Anyway, this guy was an heir to the Borden family fortune, And he had a clear path to wealth and success right there set before him for the taking. But before Borden began his Ivy League education at Yale University, his parents sent him on a year-long trip around the world as a graduation present. Earlier in his life, Borden had come to Christ. He had had believed in Jesus as as his Savior. And while traveling the world, something happened that no one expected. He was moved by the spiritual and physical needs of people around the world. God spoke. He felt. He was moved. God spoke his word to him. Borden wrote a letter to his parents and informed them he wanted to spend the rest of his life as a missionary. One of his friends remarked that becoming a missionary was tantamount to throwing one's life away. On his return, Borden went on to Yale and graduated. He then studied and graduated from Princeton Theological Seminary. When his ministry preparation was completed, he boarded a ship to Asia to serve among Muslims in China's Gansu province. And along the way, 
He stopped in Cairo to learn Arabic and study Islam. And in Egypt, Borden contracted spinal meningitis, and less than a month later, he was dead. He was only 25 years old. Borden had walked away from his fortune to take the gospel of Jesus to the nations of the world. Most regarded his death as a tragedy. He didn't even get there. However, God took the tragedy and did something far greater than Borden could ever do himself. When young men and women read Borden's story in the newspapers of America, it inspired them. That's the witness. It inspired them to leave all that they had and give their lives to reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. His life and death bore witness to God. It's rumored that at key points in his life, Borden wrote a series of phrases in his Bible. While he struggled with his desire to become a missionary against his father's heavy disapproval, he wrote the words, no reserves. Toward the end of his time in Yale, when he had started a Bible study attended by three quarters of the school's student population, I don't know how many people that would have been in the early 1900s, he wrote, no retreats. And as he lay dying of spinal meningitis in Cairo, he wrote, no regrets. No regrets. God spoke. He was stirred. He obeyed. And though he is dead now, his life bore witness to the glory of Jesus Christ. What is God calling you to? Where are you right now as you are paying attention to what God, how God is leading you in your life, your relationship with Jesus Christ? Where are you? Who is God calling you to be? Where you are as a father, as a mother, as a son or a daughter? Are you listening? Have you started taking those steps forward? No reserves. No retreats, no regrets. And then the preacher turns to the patriarchs. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, he was an old man, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt And gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. Oh, the stories that we know of those men. (laughs) The patriarchs. 
faith waiting. Faith waiting. God made promises regarding the nation of Israel and he came through every single time. Even when the promise receiver didn't see the fulfillment of that promise. God said, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to use you to do it. Okay, here I am. I'm taking steps of obedience and I see it from a long ways away, but I never actually get there. That's probably going to be true of many of us. Jesus said, I'm going to return. We may not see it. Does that mean he doesn't? No, it absolutely does not mean it doesn't. It means just not yet. And we live a life of faith waiting. I mean, waiting is hard, right? The sin of impatience just jumps in. Every time. Yet true faith is able to wait for the fulfillment of God's promises in God's time. And as we wait and while we wait, we obey and we hang on to those promises of God. Go west, God said. No destination. Just go. And what we're told is Abraham packed up everything and he left. God said, I'll lead the way. And he followed. God had him go. You... God said, you and Sarah will have a baby. God's word came. And so what was their next move? It was to wait, right? I mean, we know that all of these characters are not perfect. We know all of these men and women that that God made promises to. They all struggled in there. And we can take comfort in that fact. That all of these great heroes of the faith that we're reading about, they had things wrong in their life. But this is, a, this is a chapter about faith. And they were faithful. And we can be too. They didn't know when this child was going to come. They didn't know how God was going to do that. But God said he would. And, and God's promise that they would give birth to a nation in their old age seemed impossible. But it happened. Because nothing is impossible with God. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, four generations, and so, so many others. All these people, verse 13, were living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Against all hope, verse 18 Uh, Romans chapter 4, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us. To whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Faith, belief. Unbelief asks the question, how can this be? How can this be? Uh, Like Zechariah when he was told that his wife would have a child. Verse 18 of Luke chapter 1, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? And and I'm just reading into the text here, but I think he kind of said that sarcastically. Yeah, like, right, how, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. And I say that because the angel Gabriel didn't take too kindly to his lack of faith. Verse 19, I didn't put this up, but the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I can see the angel just rising up on his toes. Saying, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. 
Now, I'm not saying it's not okay to ask questions, but I am saying the how can this be question is the wrong one. Because in that same chapter, faith asks, how will this be? Mary asked a question. Verse 34 of Luke 1, how will this be, Mary asked the angel. Since I'm a virgin, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit, the angel gave her the answer. She asked an honest question, not doubting, just saying, how how will this be? The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative is going to have a child in her old age. I mean, these old ladies. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. She had no doubt that God could. It was the how she was curious about. Patience in our faith. How patient are you in your faith? I saw somebody post something on Facebook a while back, and and it was kind of a struggle they were having in their life, and they indicated that they were kind of lacking patience. And Pastor Michael commented under it and said, shall I pray for patience for you? And this person said, no way. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. I got plenty of testing of my patience right now. I don't need any more. Because you see, God doesn't give us patience. He gives us opportunities to be patient. It's a testing of our faith. Faith waiting. Next, verse 23. By faith, Moses. Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Why? Because God was their God. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Moses, we're calling this faith warring. I mean, he was at war constantly, seemed like, internally for what God was asking him to do, but he always did it. He always did it. Moses' life was filled with battles, and God was faithful. God did the impossible. He preserved Moses' life from the very beginning. He was raised as the Pharaoh's daughter's child. Now... Think about all of those cases, right? Um, Daniel and, and the three young boys, and they're saved, and they're in this pagan nation, and he rises to pow- a place of power. And, and you think of Joseph, and his brothers w- and, intend to kill him, but then they don't. They sell him into slavery. He ends up where? In, he ends up in prison. Well, he ends up raising up, being raised up in this government, and then Potiphar's wife accuses him of something that he didn't do, and he ends up in a dungeon. And then God raises him up again. I mean, over and over and over and over again. And and I believe God does that with us as well. He led Moses through his life. Moses listened most of the time. I mean, he always had his complaints, right? I don't speak well. I don't, why, why should I be the one? But he was the one that God wanted. And I, it just came to me, just, I mean, just now. So Moses was raised in an Egyptian home, right? Why wouldn't God do that and then choose him to go before Pharaoh? I mean, did, did that Pharaoh, I don't know, I, I, this, like I said, it just popped into my head and I'm just talking. Was it the same Pharaoh or was it a different one? I'm sure there were stories. I'm sure they knew Moses when he kind of walked into town with his robe and his staff. 
Hmm. God just works all those details out. God proved true and faithful to his promises. And, and as you battle in your walk with Jesus, continue to anchor to him. No matter what the waves are doing, even if you ask for the waves, anchor to him because he will do the impossible. Faith warring. Verse 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. But could you imagine? Hey, if you go walk around somebody's house seven times, it will fall down. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Josh, Joshua and Rahab, this is faith winning. This is faith winning. From a human perspective, conquering Jericho was impossible. How on earth could this nation, ill-equipped for battle, they've been wandering in the desert for 40 years, I'm sure they weren't fashioning weapons the entire time. In fact, what, what did they use? Horns, right? They fought the battle with horns, musical instruments. Because, because why? Because that's what God told them to do. And so they did it. Now, taking Jericho wasn't Joshua's first act of faith. His first act of faith as leading these people was to actually cross the Jordan River. By faith, they crossed the Jordan River, just like the generation before them crossed the Red Sea. And news of the crossing spread like wildfire. It's not a tiny nation. Lots of people. That faithful crossing, because they heard God told them to do this, they believed and they did it. That news spread like wildfire and bore witness to the power of God to all who heard about it as the nation of Israel marched forward by the power of God. Rahab, a harlot, a prostitute, was saved by the grace of God. All the other inhabitants of Jericho, dead. Rahab and her family saved. Why? Hebrews says she was saved by faith. Because she welcomed the spies. Why did she welcome the spies? We're told in Joshua chapter 2, verse 11, why she, why she welcomed the spies. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. She was saved because of her belief. It was because of her belief, her faith, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. This was her testimony of faith, and God honored it. Not only was Rahab saved, but she came, became a part of the nation. Salmon, Matthew 1, 5 through 6. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. A pagan harlot became a part of the ancestry of Jesus Christ. That is exactly what faith can do. I, I've heard all kinds of excuses of, of, from people why they refuse to trust Jesus, why they refused to believe in him. Um, I don't know very much about the Bible is one of them. I wonder how much about the Bible Rahab knew. Right? I think she knew one thing. That their God is the God. That's all she probably knew. She acted on that. She took action on what she did know. I've done too many bad things to be saved is another excuse that I've heard from people. Okay, let's talk about Rahab again. A condemned heathen harlot, yet Rahab stands as one of the great women of faith in the Bible. Faith winning. She believed. Finally, after going on for some time about specific men, specific women, I wish we could, I, I keep telling people all week long, I wish I had two hours to preach because we could just, this is just good stuff. Finally, 
um, after talking about all of these specific people, women of the faith, the preacher decides he's out of ink or paper or time, which I am nearing being out of time this morning. And as, and as you go through your week, please continue to remember and listen and be moved by what God speaks into your life. Think of this list. Think of their stories. Think of their witness. Think of the promises that God made and the experiences that he fulfilled. And be moved by what Jesus speaks into your life because this list is really inexhaustible. Centuries of faithful people are behind us. Centuries. And maybe centuries of faithful people are also in front of us. We don't know. And that century, the next one of those who are remembered to be faithful, may it include us. May it include you. Verse 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions. Now he's, now he's just giving experiences. He's not naming people. Quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness, weaknesses was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. I mean, this is various heroes of the faith. The, the most important relationship we will ever have in our life is our relationship with Jesus Christ. Period. A relationship with God in Jesus Christ by means of the power of the Holy Spirit. As we seek the kingdom of a God first, all of that rest, it's going to come. It may not come like we want it to. It may not be what we think it might be, but it will be the best for us. And I believe each and every one of us, when we hear and are moved inside and obey, will all be heroes of the faith. And we were talking this morning amongst ourselves, and, and, I, and I've often thought this. I mentioned my dad last week, and I don't remember what I, all I said about him, but one of the things that I remember about my dad was just his quiet faith. His quiet faith to the end. And maybe you feel like, ah, I'm just kind of a boring person. I'm a boring Christian. You know, I'm not really doing big things for God. You know what? If you're walking faithfully, that's what God asks of you, period. End of story. It doesn't matter if you talk to hundreds of people or thousands of people or four people or, or one people. <laughs> now, if you only talk to yourself, I might be a little bit concerned about that. But See, it's, it's, it's faith. It's hearing the word of God. It's hearing the truth. And that truth will always stir something. A conviction or a, a guilt feeling or a, a praise or a worship or a grateful heart. And then we act on that. And then God bears witness through our life that he is, is doing what he said he would do. And then that bears witness to other people. No matter how loud or quiet that is, that's the faith that God calls you to. You see, faith enables us to turn from the approval of the world and seek only the approval of God. And if God is glorified by delivering his people, he will do it. And if God is, is, sees fit to be glorified by not delivering his people, then he will do that too. We just have to trust. 
Faith is trusting him either way. What a blessing it is to look back in the past at the faith of people who we've known, who, who may very well be those who brought faith into our life, who, who, who brought the name of Jesus on their tongue to our mind for the first time. People we read about in Scripture strengthens our faith. People who have gone before us like my mom and dad or my brothers and my sister as they live for Christ today, it strengthens our faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is a verb, isn't it? True faith. Responsive, sacrificial, courageous, persistent, and dependent on God, no matter what the circumstance and no matter what the consequences. We see example after example from history, from God's word and from our very own history. We put all of our confidence in Jesus. Put all of your confidence in Jesus. Our greater everything. Jesus is completely and totally our enough. And that gives us confidence. This makes our witness strong and true. This makes our journey and adventure and quest and mission straight and meaningful. It gives us discernment as we make decisions and total security and hope. God is not ashamed to be called our God. So let's take every opportunity that we have to listen to God speak to us through his word. Let's trust him to speak to us and to move us internally in different ways. Let's obey him and bear witness to Jesus Christ and his love and grace and forgiveness unto us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word that we have here with us this morning. Thank you that it's true. We know it to be. We've seen it in history. Over and over and over, people have tried to disprove it. And over and over and over, those people that tried to disprove it believed. Holy Spirit, if there's someone here today who is just wrestling with the truth of your word and just can't, they just can't believe for some reason, I pray that you would draw their heart Help them to understand. Help them to see the truth of your word and to, to experience the power of your presence in their life, the joy and, and the forgiveness and the love that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And may we as a church, may we proclaim, bear witness to what you have done in our lives and what you will do. Help us to know and meditate on your promises. And to hold on to those, no matter what consequence or what circumstance we find ourselves in. Father, bring us each to the place where we are willing to surrender our all at your feet. And allow you to work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.